Welcome back to Something Ominous. This is your host, Jessica. And I'm Karina. We're so excited to be back for episode five. We hope you enjoyed the fourth episode. I know it was it was a little intense. It was scary. I thought it was scary, but it was a really good episode. It was really good. And honestly, um, we haven't had that many listens. Please try to spread the word because we're a pretty good podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, like I'm like so entertained by us when I'm listening. <laughs> Not to be conceited. And we hope you are too. We hope you are too. I just feel like a lot of people are scared of La Santa Muerte, and that is what I covered. So I think that you should listen because she's not going to come after you. Yeah, yeah. And it was honestly very educational. I actually had a lot of feedback about your episode and how creepy it was. Did you? Yeah. What did they say? That they've never heard of it, and it was super creepy. And we have more stories. Yeah, we have a... We have a lot of stories and we're actually, okay, we're working on something really, really special for Halloween. And I don't know, I'm super excited. I, me too, me too. Yeah, we can't wait. Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started. That way the intro is not that long. So I am going to go first. You know, I gravitate a lot with any paranormal hauntings outside of the U.S., so international mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about it, but they just sound like 10 times more scary. And it's maybe because everything is in Spanish, primarily in Mexico. So from witches to fairies, shapeshifters and possible alien abductions, this beautiful spot is magical. Peña de Lobos is a natural reserve located in Hilotzingo, one of the municipalities in the state of Mexico in Mexico. The reserve offers several activities like a waterfall and a natural slide expedition, a guided walk to the rock that gives it its name till the rock is shaped like a wolf's head. Oh, wow. Yeah. You remember we went to Peña de Bernal? Yes. When The first, whenever you said Peña, I thought about Peña de Bernal, but... Yeah. Well, the Peña in Peña de Lobos is a lot smaller, but it, it, it's kind of shaped like a wolf's head. From, from the side, depending on where you're standing, it's not as big as Peña de Bernal, but similar. They also have camping areas where you're able to set up your tent and camp out. You'll have your own campfire area and a spot to set up tarps in case of rain or to use as cover for shower purposes. Now, don't worry if you're not an outdoor camper like myself. They have cabins for rent. Each cabin has its bedroom, bathroom, its dining room area kitchen bonfire and a gas lamp because they have no electricity they also have no cell phone service so i know and then the stories behind all of this uh so just really quick i'm gonna give you some pricing with general admission i'm not gonna go too deep into it because this is not a promotion for them it is 25 to get in so just general admission 25 if you want to do like a one day tour or hiking is 30 dollars so 25 to get in 30 dollars to park and then if you want to stay overnight you'll pay 60 dollar parking each night that you stay and then 50 dollars per night that you're staying plus your 25 dollar admission and this is per person one of the most sought out activities in peña de lobos is the night tour where they take you on a walk around the forest and talk to you about all the paranormal activity that goes on in the area There are so many legends and paranormal phenomenons that surround this place. The campground caretaker, Juan Manuel Silva, has been working there for over 50 years. 
He's actually the owner, and this area has been passed down through, like, generations. So a lot of the stories do come from him. His family owned this property from many years ago. He said that around 50 years ago, trying to get away from the pollution and violence that surrounds Mexico City, they moved to this property. It was a forested area, and they cut down a lot of the trees just so they can build their cabin. They mainly used the cabin for family and friends, but of course the word spread out and it became more public. They ended up building more cabins for the public and now they have a total of 15. He said he remembers that when they first moved to Peña de Lobos, the people living in the area would tell him, I'll give you a week before you leave because there's a lot of paranormal activities in this place. You're not going to last. When he was young, he remembers his grandpa having a shaman background, so this didn't really face him because his grandpa knew how to handle the situation. And plus, his mom was very religious. So they felt that the faith that they both had would be able to protect them. And they knew how to handle anything unexplainable. He said that as soon as they moved in, he saw duendes (gasps) or gnomes. Yeah. But I'm going to say duendes from now on because I think it sounds scarier. Yeah, gnomes, like, they make them look too cute here. They do. Duendes are not. Yeah, and even elves. And I was like, I'm not going to say elf, because to me, I keep thinking of the elf movie. So I'm going to say two duendes. Yeah. So, yeah. So aside from the duendes, they also noticed fairies. The sightings were so frequent that they eventually got so used to them. People in the area avoid passing by the location after 6 p.m. out of fear. They believe that Peña de Lobo also holds a portal. So he tells a story about a group of students that were from out of town. They went on a walk in the morning to the waterfalls. When they got back, the group tells him, hey, why didn't you tell us about that beautiful place nearby? They described a beautiful river valley with huge snowy mountains. So he tells them, no, that place doesn't exist. And if you know Mexico City. Yeah, it like doesn't snow there. No. I, I mean, I, I haven't seen a snowy mountain. No, yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. I know. The group didn't realize that they had stepped into a portal to a different dimension. They were gone for half of the day, but to them it had only been half an hour. And then and an, another uh, unusual thing that happened is that everyone's watch stopped at 10 a.m., which was the time that they went out for the walk. He says that this does happen often. People will go out for walks and get lost for hours, but to them it's only been a few minutes. They do fear this phenomenon because they slightly compare it to the Bermuda Triangles, you know, where they go missing and then just never found again. But luckily, this hasn't happened to them as of now. Now, everyone seems to come back, but they do recount of a beautiful river. Every single one says that there's this beautiful river, there's caves, there are huge mountains. And when they try to go back, they no longer find the spot. There's also a story of another group of friends who were passing by. They were just driving by. They didn't even go inside. They got off of their car and described the same magical place. So the way the guy was telling the story is that they were just driving and then they see this beautiful magical place, the same thing that I described earlier. And they're like, well, in Spanish, you know, pretty much they said, let's get off. Let's go take pictures. Let's go look at the place. We've never seen it before. So they get off and... They're walking through it and they're like, wow, it's so pretty. It's so green. I keep thinking of like a magical forest. And then it starts getting very foggy. So they felt eerie about the whole situation and they decided to go back to the car. 
they leave and they pass by like a few days later trying to go check it out again because you know they couldn't stop thinking about it they've never seen it before and they couldn't find the place it wasn't there and this was like outside of Peña de Lobos but within the same perimeter so that's yeah, pretty crazy honestly it sounds so nice it does I would love to it does and he was saying that when it gets foggy it's when you should be a little bit more scared because you could get lost and you could step into another dimension and you may or may not come back oh. because you can't see anything. And that when it rains, the entire area gets foggy. So this area at one point was the house to wild pigs, white-tailed deers, wolves, and pumas. There's a story that there was a family who would shape shift into werewolves in the area many, many years ago. So about seven or eight years ago, a group stayed in the original cabin that was built like 50 years ago. And around two in the morning, Mr. Silva and the second caretaker wake up after hearing the group screaming. They walk into the cabin to see what's going on. What they see is guys holding down one of the girls who was going crazy. It was very hard to control her. She was being possessed. So what happened is that in the middle of the night, the group started playing with the Ouija. Oh. Now, he does, he was saying that he doesn't recommend for you to bring anything outside like games or try to do any seances because that area is very sensitive and very like energetically charged that things will happen. And that they do tell you, don't bring a Ouija board, don't do seances. But of course, they can't monitor everyone that goes. The group said that they had an encounter with a shapeshifter known in the area. They said the wolf showed up at the cabin and tried to take control of her body. Living there for many years and having many encounters, Mr. Silva was prepared. He used holy water and prayed over the girl to help with the possession. It was a three-hour long process, but eventually he was able to free her. He recalls that when everything was over, he was talking to the group because they were so ready to leave as soon as daylight hit and remembers that something caught their attention when they turned to look up at the ceiling. They see a woman with really long hands hanging on the ceiling. I just got chills. <laughs> so everyone in the cabin takes off running. So I just got chills. I just pictured it like a black yeah. woman, like a shadow of a black woman on the ceiling just hanging with really long arms. They don't know till this day if it was a bruja mm -hmm. or a witch, right? Or a ghostly apparition. Because they do talk about witches, that there have been so many witch sightings or brujas. In Mexico, witches are scary. They're yeah. described scary. In the United States, you and I can be considered a witch. Like anyone that reads like tarot card readings and stuff like that, isn't that considered kind of witchy? Tarot. I think when they do spells, right? I don't okay. know. Maybe. But in Mexico, uh, from what I know, a witch, they think an owl is a witch. It's a yeah. shapeshifter. Whenever you were talking about shapeshifters, I was going to ask you if you think they're witches. Just because that's what we hear in Mexico is like witches are shapeshifters. Yeah. Then again, I, I think in, in Mexico, we call everyone witches. Yeah. Like here's like shapeshifters and they have different names. And over there, it's just like, oh, la bruja o el brujo. Mm -hmm. I mean, over there, they are known as Nahual, which is a shapeshifter. And it can be many different forms. It, I guess it just depends on the area because in that area, the Nahual or the shapeshifter is a werewolf, primarily a werewolf. Oh. Yeah. So I think it depends on the area. But 
yeah, they do see a lot of sightings of witches, but they don't know if this was a witch or not. He said that this was one of the scariest experience he has ever had. Around 2018, they believed the area had an alien abduction. Once again, they were woken up by screams, but the screams were like far away, but they could hear them. He said that he gets a knock on his cabin door. One of the guests asked if he can help them look for their friend who went missing. So he asked, you know, those regular questions like, where was he? Where did he go? How long has it been? And they told him that they were having a bonfire when they saw a huge triangular shaped nave with lights on the tip of the nave. It makes a U-turn and leaves. Ten minutes later, they see a disc-shaped UFO flying very low on top of them. They describe a bright light and like a vacuum motion. So they pretty much felt like they were being sucked up. So like being abducted. Yeah. And they, kept, they felt like that pressure of going up. So they throw themselves on the ground, on the grass, and they're like holding onto the grass, like crawling, but pulling. Mm -hmm. So think of rock climbing, but technically grass crawling mm -hmm. like that. Until they were able to get out of the dome. Because they felt like they were in a dome. Mm -hmm. And anytime they screamed, their screams would bounce back. It did take about three days to find him. So they did search for all those three days. And they actually thought he was dead. They thought that the friends like killed him and drowned him and the river that's around there. That they were going to try to drain the river to find his body. One day he just shows up in a ranch three hours away from Peña de Lobos. And he thought he was lost. To this day, there is a lot of mystery surrounding this story. They did a hypnosis on the guy and that every time he gets to the part of the abduction or when he went missing, he goes into a mental breakdown and the session has to be stopped. This is the only alien abduction that they've had, but there has been a lot of UFO sightings in the area. Nothing has gotten that close. There are also stories of duendes, like I said earlier, uh, but they're being very mischievous. If you don't clean after yourself or disrespect the area by leaving trash around, they will find you, go through your stuff, make a mess, and hide your belongings. So, do you want to visit Peña de Lobos next time we go to Mexico? No, thanks. <laughs> oh, dang! I thought this was going to be a trip. But yeah, that's my story. I hope you like it. Dude, I'm down to go if we could enter that other dimension. I'd be scared. Honestly, that scares me. No, no, yeah. I want to see that. That's crazy. I think I would go for a day's trip. Yeah, like just to go during the day and then not stay there the night. Yeah, that, that's what I would do. Just go hike, mm -hmm. go to the waterfall um, because they don't let you go after six. I'm not sure if I mentioned that, but you can't go. You have to check in before mm -hmm. uh, before six because after you could get lost. Oh, but a lot of like the stories that you were talking about were at night, right? With the people that stayed over, like the alien abduction, the Ouija, like it was like more the people that stayed. The Ouija was around two in the morning when they were playing. The guys that went or that group that went on the on a walk to the waterfall that was like at 10 in the morning. The abduction was at night 
the duendes, they act out at any time of the mm-hmm. day. There was another story from the other caretaker that they mess with him sometimes. They will throw rocks at his cabin and he hears it. They just hear the little rocks. He described them as like short little ankle biting people with just underwear and like long ugly hair. And then he says that he does leave whiskey. Mm-hmm. I think he said whiskey. He leaves stuff like on a foot in that for them. Yeah. Wow. So like they for can... them to leave him alone. Yeah. That's super cute. Right, Cuddy, you're next. Okay. Are you ready? I am ready, but I feel like my story is like the baby shark of your story. <laughs> no, Honestly. baby shark. Is that was that? Yeah, baby shark. Do, 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 do. Okay. I listened to that song so many times today at work. Okay, so I'm going to be talking about a national park, but it's not a national park that you would expect. It is called Mammoth Cave National Park. So the Mammoth Cave National Park is located in Kentucky and is known to be the world's largest cave system, as well as one of the oldest tourist attractions in North America. Over 400 miles of caves have been explored and it is now considered a world heritage site. So the total of the cavern system is over 400 miles, but the tourist section in Kentucky is about 10 miles. The reason why these caverns are so big is because it's made up of different cave systems connecting. So if you hear me talk about Crystal Cave or Salt Cave, They're all part of one big system. It's like one big cave system that's just a bunch of caves connecting. Mm. The Mammoth Cave dates back to 12,000 years ago in prehistoric era, but the exploration began between 5,000 to 4,000 years ago. It is known that prehistoric people mined minerals in these caves such as gypsum, mirabilite, and epsomite. According to the archaeologists that studied these artifacts found in the caves, these minerals were likely used for medicines, ritual activity, agriculture and trading and a little side note i'll leave a link if you want to know more about each mineral because i thought it was pretty interesting it's known that the prehistoric explorers discovered over 19 miles of the cave passageways and there's many artifacts that have been found there in the underground route so explorers have found petroglyphs and pictographs which is a prehistoric cave art In these caves, there is also an extensive African-American history. In the early 18th century, enslaved African-Americans worked to produce saltpeter, which is a main ingredient in the production of black gunpowder. At that time, mainly because of the War of 1812, saltpeter was very important. But of course, work conditions were very poor. They were working for very long hours in smoke and fires inside a cave, which made it very difficult to breathe. The environment was also very dark and cold, and it made them susceptible to getting sick. After the Civil War ended, some of these once-enslaved African Americans led the guided tours and the exploration of Mammoth Cave. Most of the exploration we know today is owed to Stephen Bishop, who discovered many of the cave systems with only using ropes and a lantern. In 1836, a doctor named John Krogan purchased a Mammoth Cave for $10,000. His plan for the cave was to make it a hospital site for tuberculosis patients at a time where the white plague was the leading cause of death. He had heard of visitors and workers feeling better when leaving the cave and thought that the humidity and temperature would benefit tuberculosis patients. He built huts within the cave and invited 16 patients. As y'all can imagine, their conditions worsened. There was smoke and ash from the lard oil lanterns. And as winter progressed, it got colder and darker. A server at the cave once said, I used to stand on that rock and blow the horn to call them to dinner. There were 15 of them and they looked more like a company of skeletons than anything else. The book Scary Stories of Mammoth Cave goes more into detail about the patients and what they experienced and what people saw. 
But from what I read, it was it was real like their condition was really, really bad. The patients then slowly died and their bodies were placed on a slab rock now known as corpse rock before they were buried. An interesting fact is that John actually ended up dying a couple years later of tuberculosis. Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm. So now to get into the hauntings. As expected, some visitors hear the agonizing coughing of what people assume comes from the patients who suffered there. Oh, so you can actually visit, do a tour? Yeah, you can do a tour. So you can buy a touring ticket and there's guided tours and even... So that's underground at the caves. But even the park around it has like really nice hiking trails. I think there's even like rivers, places to go kayaking. So it's a really neat place. And they have cabins as well around it. In the book, Scary Stories of Mammoth Cave, there were several ghost apparition stories, but it's not really said who they could be. I mean, so many people died here. A lot of them are linked to the death of Floyd Collins, who was exploring Sands Cave in 1925. And when he was trying to get through a narrow passageway, a large rock fell on his leg, trapping him inside the cave. Oh, no. His story made national headlines because he was stuck in that cave for two whole weeks. So alive? Yeah, alive. For most part of it, he was alive. So people could still send him or kind of like throw at him like food and water and stuff. But then after a while, like rocks just kept on falling and he became trapped inside of it. Oh. So for two weeks, rescuers were trying to dig and trying to get there. Um, tourists from all over the country arrived to observe the rescue efforts, and it even became a whole carnival outside. People were selling like snacks and drinks, and everyone's just trying to be part of this rescue mission. Dude, imagine you dying down there. Exactly. There's like a party. Of <laughs> and you hear a whole <laughs> banda y toda la cosa. going on. <laughs> R.I.P. I'm sorry. I know. Yeah, I, I read that part. I'm like, that is... That's, That's a little insensitive. Yeah. After 18 days, when rescuers finally reached Floyd, they discovered he had already died. Mm. There's a lot of speculation about his apparition. In 1954, a Crystal Cave expedition was set to explore the cave, and when they got to the far back, they heard a voice yell, Wait! They waited to see if it was another group that was joining them. After a few minutes, no one appeared. They later returned to the base camp to check the logbook and found out no one else had entered those caves. That is one, scary. Two, very sad because is, yeah. he's reliving mm -hmm. his last mm -hmm. few hours, I guess. Yeah. Trying to get out from the cave. Yeah, it's like he's, he's stuck he's there. Stuck there, yeah. There's been other similar stories. Members saying that they heard people talking at a distance, but that no one would appear. Another encounter was that of caver Candace Leak, who tripped and began to fall into a five-foot-deep canyon. She said that as she was falling, and I quote, Suddenly, a strong hand grabbed me from behind on my right upper arm. After I regained my balance, I turned and said, Thank you, Richard, who was another caver, but no one was there. Richard was on the other side of the passage. I wonder if Floyd saved me. I uttered a quick, thank you, Floyd, and left the cave. Oh, I got chills. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That one got me because I'm like, imagine feeling someone grabbing you and pulling you up and there's no one there. That's an angel. Thank you, Floyd. And I feel like it's not for sure if it's Floyd, but since he's a well-known person that passed away in the caves, people assume that it's Floyd. It could have easily been like her angels, whoever's protecting her. Yeah, there's there's also been even stories of like 
let's say you're in a tourist group and you look back and there's a family that's dressed very, you know, back in the day. Old timey. Yeah, old timey. And when they look back, like they're not there anymore. So there's those type of stories too. So if you decide to visit Mammoth Cave and it's beautiful scenery, remember to watch your step and watch your back because you never know who could be watching. That's it. I want more. That you was know. a really good story. It just, I think it was heartwarming. It wasn't scary. Yes, mm -hmm. it gives you the creeps because unexplainable things mm -hmm. happen, but it's kind of sweet. Like Floyd, if it was him, I kind of believe that it was him. Because yeah. he doesn't want the same thing that happened to him yeah, it's to like, happen to someone else. Like he's else. there protecting yeah. people. Yeah, no, I, I believe that too. So last night, I stayed up reading that book, The Scary Stories of Mammoth Cave, because there's there's a lot of interesting happenings in there. So yeah, you guys should check out the book if you're interested in the Mammoth Cave. But it's also very beautiful, so don't be afraid. We need to try to do trips to some of these locations. We need a guide, though, because I, I will fall. I know. I will yeah. fall. Yeah. Where was it that we went to? Peña de Bernal. Yeah. We slipped. Yeah. No, we, I was wet. I think like, we were wearing so Nikes. we prepared, dude. We're like with Adidas <laughs> and Nike. Well, like, we don't do that. We don't. We're not Hiking outdoorsy. up a rock. <laughs> we thought they were going to be, you know, good shoes for that. But no, it's a freaking rock. It's slippery. And yeah. everybody else had good shoes. Some people mm -hmm. were really there to like climb the, the rock. Boots. Yeah. And they had a warning sign. Remember at the top, people have died. And how many deaths? Was it 19? Or I don't know. Yeah. No, there was there were stories of people. I mean, actually well-prepared people that would mm -hmm. hike up and fall off. Yeah. Because once you get to a certain peak, it tells you that it gets very slippery from there. Didn't, was it you? I don't think it was me. One of y'all went to that, like just to got up to that little area and slipped a little. And you were like, uh, no. Or was it Lily? I know Greece? I tried. I tried, but I, it's, it's way too scary. And there's no safety rails or anything no. at all. The hike up, there was rails. There was steps too, right? Yeah. I would want to go to a place like this a historical place all right well that wraps up episode five it was fun i enjoy recording it's gonna be a short one but be prepared for two weeks yeah we are gathering some really good stories y'all so i'm excited all right don't forget to follow us on instagram at something ominous podcast and follow us on tiktok at something ominous something ominous and then send us your stories to something ominous pod at gmail.com don't forget to rate us on apple podcast um spotify and i can't remember if amazon you can also rate so thank y'all for listening. Bye. Bye.